0: Good evening, if you'd turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, Revelation is certainly not the only place in the Bible where God's final judgment is alluded to, as we've seen throughout this conference, I think it will be a helpful place for us as we consider God's coming final judgment, specifically emphasizing that idea of that it's coming, it's imminent. So we're going to focus on verses 9 through 11, but if you have your Bible in your hand or on your phone, we'll, we'll be around this passage a little bit too. We're going to be bouncing a couple places around Revelation, so just keep that in mind. Verse 9, this is the fifth seal that is being opened by Christ, a fifth of seven seals helping us see the end. And when he, that's Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were killed as they themselves had been. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father God, you are the only one worthy of glory and honor. Um, And we look to you. As we look into this passage, I ask that you would give us eyes to see the world that you made and uh, take away the blinding um, shackles of the temporary little worlds that we create. Help us see that all things point to you. You are to be praised. There is a reckoning coming. Help us to long for, for, for Christ's return and help us to live in the here and now properly as your people longing for Christ to, to come again and make things right. Help me, God. May you be, uh, may you be exalted in this, in, in this message. May your word shine forth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Looking at the title of the talk, I, I, as I mentioned, I think the, the emphasis, I'm gonna spend a lot more time on God's coming final judgment and a little bit less time on the finality of the final judgment. So we will talk about that because I think the coming aspect of this is where a lot of friction, biblical friction comes up in our lives. You know, Friction is the, the resistance um, one object puts on another, um, tension causing a lot of, well, and it, it can be a very good thing. You want friction or you don't want a lot of friction on your couch when you're sliding it across your your living room floor. Um, but when you want it to stay there, you'd, you'd like a little friction. You don't want your couch moving all over the place, right? But biblical friction I think it comes when when we see passages in the word that tend to go against how we naturally think about things. They they cause they they, they, they create maybe a perceived paradox in our minds. Um, how these two things, how can they how can they jive, how can these two things be true? And they discourage us and they dissuade us and 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 some people walk away from God when when, when there's too much friction. Um, a couple of them I wanna note that are, you're gonna see in this passage. I wanna press into those. I think those are the hard, hard things to try and answer and by God's grace, we'll, we'll start answering them. But suffering, that's a friction. Uh, the idea of timing, that's very connected to that. The timing and the coming of Jesus, when is he going to return? Timing is a friction. It's been 2,000 years and specifically, really specifically here, um, and I've seen some of the questions that have been asked from the from the previous group, but how should a Christian respond to evil in the world? Is it right for me to do what these martyrs are doing? Should I ask God to, to judge? They're, that's what they're doing, right? Asking for vengeance, they're not asking for mercy. They're asking for judgment, so. That's a couple questions that I think come and, and let's put one into practice right from here. So um, scripture reveals that the Savior who has purchased you by his blood has also a plan for you as his people to follow him into a future which could include the shedding of your own blood. That's Friction. You've been saved by, to life by Christ, and the life that you have may result in death. And, 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 and unless the Lord tarries, all of you are gonna die. I'm gonna die. That's friction. So in that example, the, the, the question of timing comes. How long? How long until Jesus returns? When is the suffering going to end? Um, and here's another bit, just connected to that last thought of... Uh, of whether or not I should ask for God to judge people. Um, you, you know that you're saved to eternal life. You're living longing for him to return, but you know that you live in a world um, that is full of people who this news will not be good for. Jesus coming back, that's not good if you're outside of Christ. You're called to you know, be merciful. Right? And yet you know that unbelieving neighbor is not gonna get mercy when Jesus comes. Friction. And and then you see direct examples just like this one, right? Right here in the Bible where you see the, these dead slain saints crying out to, to God, judge. And the, the thought enters your mind, I can never ask for that. I cannot ask for God to judge. I can, I, I, I want opposition to end. I want it to end through repentance. I do not want his wrath to end, or I don't want opposition to end in his wrath because that's what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Opposition is done. So there's two questions. And just, just notice with me how these things oppose each other. They, they, they cause problems in themselves. So first of all, you may be suffering and you're asking yourself, Why isn't God doing something now? You see the world. Why isn't the 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 question of time right? Why isn't He doing something now? There's great evil happening. But then, but then on the other hand, and and these are these are kind of these kind of create friction with themselves. You ask yourself, well, how can it be right for for me to ask for, for for God to bring vengeance? That's what He's come. You know, I want it to end, but I but I I don't want to ask for him to bring vengeance. It's tension between those two questions. Maybe one of you, or you're thinking one or more of those questions right now. When you're confronted with friction, it's really tempting to spend a lot of time trying to explain it away, right? So for for example, um, I could say that this suffering doesn't apply to me, but that's pretty easy for us to get over, right? Because I know they're not, you know, I might not be them right now, but if I'm suffering, this applies to me, right? I'm a Christian. I'm following Christ, and something, some, you, something bad has happened or going to happen. So it's applicable. And, and then, additionally, if you're if you're asking yourself, well, it's never right to ask for God to take vengeance. Um, four times in Paul, he he calls. Um, for God to 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 damn, not to give mercy, for those who are out, those who do not have love for the Lord. The Psalms, Psalm sixty nine specifically, but many of the imprecatory Psalms, we see examples of um, people who have put their hope in the Lord and are asking God to bring judgment. And the very idea of "Come, Lord Jesus," itself, which is the heartbeat of revelation and it's the heartbeat of the entire new testament and everything at this side of the cross is the cry Jesus come judge so you you can't just say it's not right for me to ever say please come judge god he's coming to judge and to relieve so how do we live right now coming Coming final judgment, right? How do we live right now? There's friction in this present time, longing for, looking for Jesus' return. How do we desire his judgment? How do we understand his mercy despite all of that friction? So let's, let's press into that. Um, the book of Revelation, I mentioned it, but the, the idea of him coming again is just everywhere. It begins, it ends the book. Jesus is coming again. He's coming in the clouds, coming like a thief. He is... Coming soon. And everything else, it seems to me, flows from that idea. So, why is he coming in? Well, he's coming again to judge. Opposition is going to be ended. He's coming to relieve. These, these martyrs want relief upon Christ's return. Um, for for, for a relief in, in terms of the, the end of, of opposition to, to God and to his people who are still living. Uh, the, wh- why? why does he need to judge and relieve, right? So there's, there's great evil in the world. And you see so clearly through the book of Revelation just the vivid imagery of the opposition to God. There's an enemy described in various ways. And the enemy, ex- the, 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 the world, the way the world is, Evil is like compounding upon itself, exuding more evil. And so relief is needed. The saints cry out for it. From Relief from Satan, the dragon who goes and kills the saints, to the false prophet, to the Babylon, to, to, to Babylon who, who is drunk with the blood of the saints. Relief is needed. And so that's where the cry for relief comes. But above that, I think central to it all and central to this passage, and I think the most helpful point, if you're walking in the here and now, is the idea that amid all of that, amid all of the uncertainty, the questions, the suffering, God reigns over it all. we got to understand that and press into that. As you read verses 9 through 11, if you don't believe that God reigns, that's a depressing verse. Let's try and see that together, just in this passage. So I want to set the stage here for, if you haven't read this section before in the Bible, a throne room scene begins in heaven. Uh, John gets a vision of the throne room of God all the way in chapter 4. But in in chapter 5, we see in the throne room, there's elders, there is God on the throne, there's an altar, and there's saints, or slain saints under it. There's angels. it's quite a sight. and also in the throne are these seals. the seals um, the, the the previous seals to this fifth one um, tell of terrible comings and goings on the earth there's there is a the wax seals, you know, what I'm saying, like wax seals that seal something. Terrible comings and goings. Uh, a peace taker, a conquering king. Famine and death. They're the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as have possibly been abused in our society today. They're not. They're not fun. But the seals, they're not random events in space and time. They're on a scroll, and the scroll is in God's hand, right hand. And the seals, it, this scroll, it's like a, it's one, one scholar called it a scroll of destiny. Inside that is, for John, as, as, as it's revealed to him, it is the, the, the end of all things, how God's going to do it what's, what, 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 what's going to take place and, and how, how God is going to work all things out for our good. And this, this, another thing about this scroll, nobody can open it. And John begins to weep. Nobody's opening the scroll. He wants to see, he wants to see the end. But if you know the Revelation 5, there is one who's able to open it. He's called a lion, but when John sees him, it's actually a lamb, as though he was slain. And this is what the people sang to him in Revelation 5, 9. They sang a new song to this lamb, this Christ Jesus. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So the seal opener, the one that's showing John this, is showing us this, is our Savior. He's our mercy granter. He's Dictating, he's unfolding, as it were, the times and the seasons and the moments, and even the moments that include death of his own people. He is very in control. Let's talk about these slain souls. How did they get under the altar? they're under the altar these these slain christians are under the altar because they have seen they've shared they've suffered on account of the glory of of the name of christ they're slain because they've seen christ so their lives are caught up within the scroll this unfolding scroll the savior he's able to unseal it because he was slain as 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 i said and and so and and his cross another thing about this cross of christ in Revelation thirteen eight, it says he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So it's not just like he's able to unseal the scroll of, you know, beyond his time. He's actually the lamb slain for all of time. And so total sovereignty. His cross made sinners into saints. These martyrs were once sinners. Now they're saints. And it's because they've seen Christ. They saw, they believed. He loved them and freed them as, uh, by his blood. That's what saints cry out. And we know they're saints because they share. They share Christ. They've, they are proclaiming the, 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 the knowledge of the glory of God. They have died because they are witnessing to the word of God, the witness they've borne to, to God. They're proclaimers on the earth and their suffering. They've died for the glory of Christ's name. So they represent Christ on the earth. They're a beacon of light and in a world where there's darkness, they, they, they suffer and die for it. Remember, it's a seal. It's one of the seals. They're suffering and their death. They suffer at the hand of a rejecting world. Um, God created all Man sinned, the garden, like a pro- and, now, and now we're living like prodigals. We're like that prodigal that went to his father and said, I don't want you. I can see all your things. I don't want you. I'm gonna go into another country. I'm gonna live because that's where life is. And so we, and from Adam, we've been living in the pigsty, going after things that are not honoring to God, not going to the father of all, we have, we've rejected him. We've, we really think that his gifts are better than he as, as, as gift giver. And, and so we reject him and we reject the word because the word, actually, the word of God says, you have an authority, you have a father, run to him. As Kyle mentioned, we're either running away or running fleeing or fleeing to. The word says flee to, turn to Christ. That's convicting. And so because of that, the way opposition to God in in Revelation is described, and I think it's described in Revelation, but it, it is happening currently right now, it's war. It's a war against God. His people suffer because his people are ambassadors of him. And it's an attack on God when his people are attacked, just like Elijah and Elisha. Jeff as representatives so saints they suffer in many ways and and we could go a long time talking about it but just in this context they're suffering from conquerors peace famine death those horsemen in the first seals they are uh, the most logical way to read that is that the result of their death is from the first four seals and their placement after the first four but they suffer many ways at the hand of Satan, the beast, Babylon I mentioned. It gets worse in Revelation as you, as you go on. And it's only going to be ended when Christ end it, ends it. Christ must come and that's why the martyrs cry out to Christ for relief. He's the one who makes, who makes opposition cease. He made your opposition cease. So what do you do? What do you do if you are a follower of Christ who has suffered. And let's see what the martyrs do. They cry. They cry out, right? How long until you avenge our blood? So their cry is a response to that friction. How long? Timing, right? A couple things that you can probably see, but just know this isn't a selfish request. They are ambassadors for the glory of his name. They are not representing personal vendettas they desire God's judgment again. It's against those who dwell on the earth. The wrong that has been committed has been committed against God ultimately, not a selfish request. And notice they're not taking vengeance into their own hands. This does not count, uh, contradict the idea that God's vengeance, it's, it, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Jesus is gonna make, the, make payment. They're asking for him to do it. They're not doing it themselves it's a cry for justice at the sight of injustice so it's against those who dwell on the earth these ones have have killed uh the the the, the saints have been killed and it's it's but it's not a again it's not a specific uh, accusation against specific killers it's speaking to humanity's total opposition to the lord i'm not saying that there aren't examples in the bible where specific folks Are called down judgment, but this is against humanity's total opposition to God. The earth dwellers, they've committed evils. They will not repent. The evil, and their evil is they're going against the Lord. And so they're ultimately asking for final judgment. We want you to return. They want a total judgment. This is how in Revelation 1, 7, if you can flip back there, and it's gonna be on the screen, this is what Jesus is, This is, I think it's very similar the way that Jesus is coming, um, the way that the martyrs cry out. People will see and wail. Behold, he is coming on the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Jesus was killed by specific people, and yet... All have sinned against God and judgment will come for all who are outside of Christ. And we see final judgment. I I know this is final judgment. I believe it is because right after this, we see an allusion to final judgment, the sixth seal, the sixth seal. The kings of the earth, they cry out, All the people of the world, and if you read verses 12 through 17, in verse uh, 16 and 17, they cry out to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is sitting on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Nobody's gonna stand. They're asking for final judgment. Notice also, so they're appealing to his, uh, his character, is they ask for vengeance, they they appeal to sovereignty, holiness, truth. So, in this world where where the savior is 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 slain, and the saints are following after him, and they're suffering wrong and they're suffering injustice, there's an understanding that things are not as they ought to be. Things have uh, you know, good is treated as evil. Evil is treated as good. It is all out of whack in many ways in, in, in the world. The Savior himself, right, was despised and rejected. So they appeal to this, the character of, of the Lord. You are overall, you're sovereign. Nothing's outside of your domain. You are holy, you are set apart. His, his holiness provides us standardized weights, for judgment, and his truth is the standard. There's no, uh, or it's a guarantee he's never going to err. He will not make a mistake. And so they appeal to his character as they cry out. Also, there's an understanding in this that the sovereign, holy, true Lord um, is gonna make things right. It's not a cry of uncertainty, it's a cry of timing, as I mentioned. How long? If they were uncertain, I don't think they could appeal to his character, his sovereignty, his holiness, and his truth if they were uncertain. Every wrong is gonna be paid its due. They desire just retribution. They want God to be just. Now let's, now let's pause for a second and ask, you know, what if I cannot relate to this? I still, I, I, I don't. I, I see what they're doing. I see what they're doing, um, but I, I don't think I can ask for justice like they are asking for justice. I, I think the answer for for us is to. We need to we need to get a bigger picture of who God is as holy, sovereign, and true, and we also need to see it in the light of the wickedness of sin, and so let's just. Let's, let's, let's look at this for a second. So you need, you need, you don't need, you, you can't live in a worldview that believes that there are many paths and many options and everybody's doing fine. You do you, I'll do me. If that's really how the world is, if there's many paths, if there's many, many good ways to go and we're just all trying our own route, then this won't, Apply this won't be helpful in any way. You need a, a an apostle Peter kind of worldview. Peter, who we pick on for for so many things. In John six sixty eight, Jesus is getting abandoned by people because he just told them, "You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to to be with me." To to, to and everybody starts leaving. And he turns to his disciples, and he asks them, are you gonna leave too? And Peter, who we think is the biggest knucklehead, says the most profound statement. To whom, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's only two two ways, only two ways Two worldviews. There's the worldview of the evil one, the worldview of sin, the worldview of Satan, the worldview that I am king, and there is the truth that Christ is king. He has the words of eternal life. There isn't anywhere else to go. So maybe this illustration will help you if you keep that in mind. Think like Peter, where else can we go? If you're you're outside in the sunlight, God is light, right? God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If you're out in the sunlight and your eyes are adjusted to the sun, you can see clearly all the beauty of God's creation. Unencumbered. However, when you step inside into the darkness, into a dark room, instantly your, your vision begins uh, your eyes need to adjust either in order to start seeing, right? You, you have to adjust your eyes or you've got to turn on a flashlight or you've got to turn on a light. If you want to keep your gaze and your eyes adjusted to the, to the brightness of the sun, to the glory of the sun, the darkness, it's got to go away. And if you start living in the darkness, the light will get, or your eyes will get adjusted away from the light. God's holiness, human wickedness, they're not compatible. So as you fix your gaze on the holiness and the, the goodness and the the, the the where else can we go-ness of God, everything else looks much more dim and much more sinister and much more opposite. And, and so much so that if this wins, if this wins, this loses. We need a bigger vision of the bigness of God and how perfect and holy and true he is, what he saved you from, and we, need a, we also need a real, very real view of the wickedness of sin and how opposite it is to the holiness of God. Sin looks a lot more sinister, I think. So the witness to God's perfection in comparison to that world's rejection of God, it leads the saints. It actually is gonna lead the saints in Revelation to rejoice. Uh, in in the, the altar doesn't, the, the people under the altar don't, they, they, they say more things. In Revelation 16, When God pours bowls of wrath, this is in verse seven, when God pours bowls of wrath on the earth, the altar cries out saying, yes, Lord God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. They glory in God's justice. They see clearly. They've got the vision of the light. That's how they respond. When they and they see so if that's 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 how they cry they cry for vengeance let's spend the rest of our time looking at how God responds because this is really interesting and it might be not what you expect essentially he says it's going to get worse before it gets better First of all, he gives them merciful shelters, two of them, robes and the shelter of timing. And these are connected to his goodness. What are these robes? Kyle did a great job of of pointing out what the saints wear. Let's see how Revelation describes these. So we've got seven seals on a scroll if you've read Revelation, you know that the the seventh seal, the sixth seal ends chapter six. The seventh seal doesn't start till chapter eight. And in the middle, we've got chapter seven, which causes a lot of confusion for people. But one thing in chapter seven, we see a a glorious throne room scene of saints worshiping, gone. And they're wearing robes. So let's read that, verses verse, uh, nine, uh, 9 and 10 of chapter seven. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a, out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Wow. And then if you ask yourself, well, How did they get those robes? John, he's asked that himself in verse 13. One of the elders addressed me, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? (laughs) Asking John, right? Sir, you know, that's what John said to him. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. These souls under the altar that have been slain, they cry out for God, bring justice, bring judgment. And his first response is to give them robes. Their robes, I think a couple things, they're first, foremost, they're they're symbols of righteousness purchased by Christ. That is key. They are also... Signs of victory, that promised reward. They have conquered. They have not given in to the, to the beast. And they're also symbols of rest. You know, those who oppose God, in Revelation 14, it says they have no rest. Their, their end is no rest. But saints, you get the blessing of rest. <laughs> But there's more to take in. Let's look at this. He then gives them a merciful shelter of his perfect patience, his timing. So, time. There's a there's a day coming. It's promised. The number of the brothers and fellow servants needs to be complete. There's a day coming. God's not saying anything different about that. He's not saying, "Oh, I've I've changed my plans." There's a day coming. But in that time now, coming, final judgment, time is mercy. Time in the book of Revelation is mercy. Time is mercy right now. But in in this passage, it's, it's, it's mercy. And he shelters them with it. Providential timing. Not just random, I don't know the end game timing. Providential timing. So, and we, and we see it throughout the rest of Revelation because I know if you, if you read through the rest of this book, the offer's still out. Even uh, the gospel's still proclaimed, an eternal gospel throughout all the world. But I wanna focus on the ripples of wrath because even in judgment, even in the coming judgment, this extra time is an offer of mercy. In Revelation 9, 20 through 21, seven trumpets are sounded. Seven trumpets of wrath. And it's terrible. But look how mankind responds, verses 20 through 21. The rest of man- mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not repent. There was an offer to repent. Repent. Even in his wrath, they did not give up worshiping demons, idols, gold, silver, bronze, nor did they repent of their murders and their sorceries, their sexual immorality or their thefts. Judgment is excruciating. But even in the rest of of, of the book of Revelation, it is is an apologetic. It's It's a cry to return. It's a cry to stop opposing me. That time is very gracious of God. And more so, so that's, that's time, the mercy for, this, for, for those who are outside of Christ. His timing is a comfort for the saints. It's comforting to live in God's timing, knowing he's the one with the timetable. Who's holding the scroll? Who's opening the seals? That's a tremendous comfort. If you um, are suffering right now, if you're under an altar being slain for the word of God, for doing what God asked, losing your life, suffering for it, know that he's not abandoning you. So he's, they're crying out, how long, how long, how long? Rest, he's bringing it to completion. He's bringing it to completion. So you're in a, you're in a, you're in a much better place, Peter example, right? Where else can we go? You're in a much better place on this side. Don't go that other way. You're in a very good place. And then there's, there's a shelter of this promise completion. And this is where we talk about final, final judgment. He's bringing it to completion. The number of the, those who are following, following after Christ, that needs to be completed. When is that? I don't know. No one knows. The son of man doesn't know. but it's gonna be completed one day. Every eye will see him and, 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 and opposition is going to come to an end. And that is a shelter for these martyrs. So God doesn't say, I've changed my mind. He's, he says, put on these robes, rest a little while. I'm gonna bring it to a completion. Christ is coming. Revelation 19 says what a picture of Christ's return verses 11 through 16 then i saw heaven open and behold a white horse the one sitting on it was faithful and true it was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So the word that they stood for, the word that they, they stood on and died for is gonna be the very word that is gonna crush their opponents, the opponents of God. He slays with his mouth, the sword of his mouth. And he will sit on the throne and judge. Earth and sky one day will fall, fall away. In chapter 20. And I saw, verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, And then another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. And according, it was according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead and those who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead and those who were in it. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what he had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone's name, anyone's name, if it wasn't found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There will be there will be a great judgment on that day. And there's gonna be mercy too. These saints will be the sole recipients of mercy. They will see in his final judgment the pinnacle of realized mercy. That darkness that is attacking and as if it could try and fight the light, that's gonna be that's going to be driven away forever those whose names are written in the book of life these saints under the altar waiting for final rest final this city with god all opposition taken away they will they will see forever god's goodness opposition will be removed we're going to cry that day but we're not going to say what the theme of of revelation says are we holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come it's not going to, we're not going to have to say that he has come it's done so i'd encourage you as we as we go out let's Let's desire his vengeance. I think, I think that there's biblical warrant to desire Christ's vengeance, even if you can just say, come Lord Jesus. We want relief. We want him to put it all to an end. There is an enemy. It is opposing God in his name. But we also need to live in his patience. Take that for what it is. His patience is its mercy. And he is still through you, through me, he also offering mercy to the world. So when the saints, remember, they, they asked for vengeance, God responded to them tell, to them, telling them that, hey, I'm a patient God. There's still a time coming. So in that friction, we're in that right now, right? I think we, we desire, we desire him to come, come Lord Jesus. But we live, we live now in his patience. And so we don't stop asking others to come to Jesus. We call out. Because every 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 moment, uh, in in this moment of tarrying, he. There is there is the offer the offer to to call. The world to come to Jesus, join the side. Right, where else can we go? There's there's another way. There really is, helping people see that all their many little paths are really one path, helping people see that they answer to the Lord. pray that we would do that that friction of god's timing it's it's good for the lost it's a sign of mercy let's pray thank you thank you for your patience thank you for your justice you are the perfect judge we want Jesus to come back. We want him to make all things right. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us to live in this world longing for that, 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 that vengeance, that, that, the full display of God's perfections for every eye to see the end of opposition, full realization of, of that mercy that, he, that, that we have in Christ. Help us live here and now, God, um, n- not with, with eyes on the here and now, but lo- longing and looking ahead. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.